Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. special summer on the street edition of Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica, coming at you from the New York Stock Exchange to help make sense of this week's wild moves. Hey, listen, other people want to make friends. I just want to try to make you some money. All right, well, I do have a few friends here today. My job, not just to entertain, but to teach, educate. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, we know this market has turned into a roller coaster. Dow rebounding 312 points today. Ah. S&P climbing 1.30%. NASDAQ gaining 1.39% after yesterday's unbelievably terrible session. The reason? Because we don't know if we're in a trade war or a cold war. Does the Trump administration want to strong-arm China into buying more American-made products? Or are they trying to destabilize the ruling Chinese Communist Party? We don't know. Are we negotiating with the PRC? Or is this more like when James Bond asks, do you expect me to talk? And Goldfinger responds, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. The free traders in the White House expect China to talk. The president's top economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, came out this morning, squawked on the street, and predicted that there could be productive talks in September, after the new 10% tariffs go into effect. Oh, but the hardliners, on the other hand, they want China to fundamentally restructure its whole economy so they stop stealing American intellectual property and truly open their markets to foreign competition. The free traders act like it's all about commerce. The hardliners make you feel like we're in a brand new Cold War. In reality, you know what? One of the reasons I guess I don't want to say I'm sanguine, but I'm okay, is that I think there's a middle ground. But to get there, the Chinese government needs to make some major concessions that they've been unwilling to do. At the moment, China doesn't want to go there. Eventually, though, I think they might have to. That's why I am more sanguine about the trade war than most of the talking heads you hear from every day. Why? Because communist China, communist China, has spent the last 40 years embracing capitalism in their own way. In the old days, everything was state-owned. Now half of Chinese industries in private hands. And these companies are actually hurting. There's a major slowdown in capital equipment spending in China as they feel the pain of jobs migrating to other countries to avoid the tariffs. Hey, make no mistake about it, okay? These tariffs are indeed a nightmare for the People's Republic. They're working. Any U.S. companies that can relocate are relocating, relocating to ABC. Anywhere but China. In a way, the Communist Party is a victim of its own success. They've done such a great job of creating an export-driven economy that they're now hostage to their trading partners. Think about that. They're now hostage to their trading partners. 
The PRC exported $539 billion worth of goods to the U.S. last year. Hey, come on, that's a giant chunk of business. You know what? China has a lot to lose. America, though? Huh. We've been hemorrhaging manufacturing jobs for decades. There's not much China can do to us that they haven't done already. The United States simply isn't an export-oriented economy, which is why we only sell $120 billion worth of goods to them. That's not even 1% of our GDP. We've got a strong job market, incredibly low inflation, plentiful natural resources. China faces a mass exodus of jobs thanks to the tariffs, and their economy was already fragile. They are resource-deprived. At the end of the day, we don't need to make a deal. However, I think that's actually a bad and unnecessary outcome. It would be destructive for all sorts of industrials and technology companies that you and I like that do business in China. But when all is said and done, it's still not going to wreck our whole economy. We are not going into recession, people. We're not because of the tariffs. are not going to do that. We have too much steam to fold. So if that's the case, where did yesterday's hideous decline come from then? Three. There were three major causes. First, the obvious. China let its currency fall versus the dollar. And the Treasury Department labeled them a currency manipulator. China used to be really egregious about pushing its currency lower to boost exports, but for the past decade, well, they've been doing the opposite. In response to the latest tariffs, they showed us that they're still perfectly capable of devaluing their money when they need to. It was a real shock. Many hedge funds are already up huge, and when they saw this kind of craziness, they rang the register. Who can blame them? Second, Treasury yields have plummeted. A week ago, the 10-year was at 2%. Now it's at 1.71%. Historically, that's what you see when we're headed into a recession. As I told you, we're not going to have one. So when money managers see it, though, they don't consider the context, which is that the rest of the world has much lower rates than we do. They just assure we have a crumbling economy. They just assume it. It's like, hey, it's got to be. We wouldn't have rates that low. But the German tenure is a negative yield, for heaven's sake. This is what happens when lots of money flows to the U.S. from overseas. Rich foreigners and government, well, actually, companies, trusts, they buy treasuries, which sends prices up and pushes yields down. Do not get me wrong. It's not good. It creates a strong dollar, hurts American exporters. But it's not necessarily a sign that we're headed for a recession, and it does make mortgage money cheaper. Third cause, U.S. companies with big overseas exposure are about to take a big earnings hit, or at least people feel that way. That's what they're selling. That's why they're selling Apple. They're selling Nike. They're the victims of the trade war. Somebody needs to eat the cost of these tariffs. That means many companies could be looking at slower earnings growth. That's a huge fear. However, it is also true that WATCH, which is my acronym for Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot, haven't had to raise prices much to deal with these tariffs. They have, but not a lot. This next round may hurt them a little bit. But in fact, these companies are generating some of the best sales they've ever had. And that is emphasis on ever. Overall, it is a definitively mixed picture, which is why the Federal Reserve can't be more aggressive about cutting interest rates to bolster the parts of the economy that are weakening, even as I think the Fed should because there's no inflation and we are disadvantaged versus almost every country in the world. I am sure they're still worried that there's too much momentum to cut again. I think they should rethink. Now, if we had a better sense of how the trade war would play out, it could be easier to get a read on the market. For now, we keep coming back to the commerce versus containment dilemma. If the White House is willing to settle for a commercial deal, meaning the Chinese buy more American crops and airplanes without restructuring their economy, then our stock market will soar. But if we don't get a deal, I think we get more of the same. More of the same like yesterday. And until the past week, the same was pretty darn good. Meanwhile, lower interest rates make dividend stocks a lot more attractive than consumer product stocks. And that is one reason, for instance, why Emerson, which is a big industrial company with major China exposure, could have put really a not-so-hot quarter this morning, yet stock did well. Although the main reason is that it was already down dramatically going to the print, and it was better than fear, BTF. That was also why Apple began rebounding today. And don't get me started on Fang. 
Neither Amazon nor Alphabet nor Facebook have much China exposure. Microsoft wouldn't be impacted. China's not important to the new growth engine, Azure, which is their amazing cloud platform. Okay, now let's put it all together. I think we're in much better shape in this trade war than the conventional wisdom would have you believe, and certainly the talking heads. And even if it drags on, there are plenty of companies that will do just fine. So why aren't I telling you to buy aggressively? Look, we just had a brutal rough patch that knocked off about 5% of the S&P 500. That's down 500, 5% from the peak for the, for the S&P 500. But we're still up big for the year. Dow, 11% gain for the year. S&P, up nearly 15. NASDAQ, up 18. Those are huge gains. Well, today's bounce was a good one. And companies actually managed to rally when they reported good numbers. Witness Oedis, Take-Two, Shake Shack, much of the session. The market looked like it was going to roll over until about 1 or 2 o'clock. But it wouldn't roll over, and that's bullish. The bottom line, those three prongs of panic that crushed us yesterday, currency, yields, and earnings, still have not been resolved despite the nice bounce today. I think we got more wood to chop before we can have a sustainable rally. But if you start buying stocks of high-quality companies where they're already down 10 to 20% from their highs, I think you'll be rewarded. It's simply not as bad out there as many people would have you believe. Yes, sir. Hey, Jim. So, uh... I've been seeing the market and the general public just get really, really bullish on Snapchat. Uh, they see it as, you know, one of the big tech companies, one of the ones that's going to be growing in the future, and I personally don't really buy it. What do you really see as the long-term growth and potential for Snapchat uh, in, their, in their near and far and long-term well, future? It's a great question because Snap turned out to be better than we thought. There was an excess of people at the top. People started worrying that Snapchat was falling apart. They have these big costs. But I would tell you that... Uh, it is a stock that has run big from the bottom. I share your trepidation. I like Facebook much more, and I like Twitter much more. I think you're going to be right. Thank you. Yes. Hi, I'm Yaw from Mendocino, California. And I was wondering, with the uncertainty in the cannabis industry, do you think a company like Scott's miracle Grow is the way to go? Well, look, I do believe that the... Uh, I, look, I thought that uh, Afria did a great job this week. Uh, Erwin Simon used to run Hain. I like Kronos. Did they pay too much for some acquisitions? Maybe. Uh, my favorite is still Canopy. But frankly, we need to see a better quarter from Canopy than we've seen. Other than it's Afria, that's going to be the one I like because they reported really good EBITDA. Thank you. Yes. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Listen, um, I got a baby on the way. And I'm looking for a play for the long term. Uh, between Intel and AMD. Tell me, who would you prefer? Oh, I'm going to buy Lisa Sue has done a remarkable job. She's a big speech tomorrow in the server market. She is incredible. She turned around AMD. She has Intel on the run. I think she, maybe she's the most, she may be the most remarkable CEO of our era. I say go with Lisa Sue. Go with AMD. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. And best of luck to you. Thank you. All right, the three prongs of panic, currency, yields, earnings, they have not yet been resolved. But I still hold that things aren't as bad as some are making them out to be. Buyers of stocks that are down significantly from their highs. That's what I want. I think you'll be rewarded. Oh, man, tonight, what can we learn from yesterday's sell-off? I'm going through the most egregious errors I saw sellers make to be sure that you don't fall prey to the same pitfalls. Then, Etsy fell more than 10% after reporting earnings last week. But could this be a crafty buying opportunity? I'm going to go to the CEO. And the man, the myth, the legend, A-Rod, joins me here on the street, along with the CEO of Barstool Sports to talk the future of media. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. 
Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC. Never underestimate the ability of traders to do the dumbest possible thing. Last night during after-hours trading, a bunch of money managers bolted from stocks right between when the U.S. declared China to be a currency manipulator, but before the Chinese backed off and let their currency appreciate in value. Some genius sold Apple down at 186 bucks last night. If they had waited, they could have gotten out at 197 where Apple closed today, not even 24 hours later. Another luminary obliterated Facebook in the mid-170s. It's now 184. Then there's the stock sage who dumped Microsoft at 126 right before it rebounded to 134. These sellers ended up fleeing at the worst possible moment. They violated every rule in the book. I don't want you to repeat their mistakes, so let's go over everything these dopes did wrong. What are the rules? One, panic is not a strategy. There was nothing much to the currency manipulator designation, but these frightened traders blew it completely out of proportion, acting like it was going to lead to a 2009-style financial crisis. It was pure panic, and it made no sense whatsoever. Two, there's always a better moment to sell than into the maelstrom. I know because I've done it myself. You can read all about my own idiocy and confessions of a street addict. If these bozos had just waited until the morning, they could have easily sold at much higher prices. All they had to do was nothing. Three, after hours trading is like the Wild West, except there's no sheriff. Some of these deep-in-the-hole prints from last night were the work of a very sophisticated sell program that was linked to futures to individual stocks. Like, if the market looks like it will fall 3% tomorrow, sell Apple down 2% and we'll make out like bandits! There's a lot of money to be made in algorithmic trading, but it can also produce some incredibly idiotic moves, like it did last night. Four, please check your emotions at the door if you're going to trade. So many traders and commentators despise President Trump, and they're letting their seething resentment get the best of them. If you want to be a good investor, you need to leave your political opinions at the door, as I try to do. Just because you hate the guy, that doesn't mean he's going to wreck the stock market. There's another cohort that believes Trump has taken a knife to a gunfight. How many times have you heard that with a trade war in China? To them, he's genuinely crazy, and there's no rhyme or reason to anything that's happening here. There's way too much doom and gloom. That's why I went on TV last night to simply say, dial it back, people, because the negativity had gotten out of control. I think we have the upper hand in the negotiations because our economy is stronger than theirs. We should stop being so defeatist. Rule number five, never sell all at once. Now, this is a corollary of my view that you should never buy all at once. Last night, the sellers just kept whacking and whacking stocks for more than an hour after the currency manipulator designation came out. Did these traders have any situational awareness? Did it occur to them that, hmm, maybe the market knew this was coming? I mean, how is it a surprise when the Treasury Department tells us something we've known for ages? China manipulates its currency. News at 11. Look, I know it's hard to remember these rules when the averages are getting obliterated and everyone's terrified. But these things wouldn't kept happening if investors would simply stick to disciplines. 
That's the whole point of having rules. So you can fall back on them when you're too overwhelmed with emotion to think rationally. That's how you win, not lose, at professional trading and investing. Stick with Crick. Tuesday, but well, we have already had a wild week. Even though stocks rebounded nicely from yesterday's brutal beatdown, there's still a lot of uncertainty out there, as you know. And since this is the most interactive show on all of television, I want to open the mics here on Wall Street, and you can see where we are, where I've been working for about 40 years, clear up any confusion, and help give you, the home gamer, a playbook for this market uncertainty. So let's start right here. Booyah, Jim. John from Jersey City. Um, Earlier this year, when we were dealing with uh, volatility due to the uh, Trump tariffs, you recommended Twilio, T-W-L-O, for the home gamers due to its lack of uh, visibility in uh, in the China markets. Um, Do you feel that, you know, you reiterate that buy rating now, or is there another text text talk out there? No, no, no. Twilio is fantastic. Uh, Twilio and NVIDIA were the two we were watching all day for ActionLearnsPlus.com for the club. The reason why I like Twilio so much, it did have the fastest growth of any major uh, company that is clearly involved with, say, e-commerce. They're the kings of e-commerce. Jeff Lawson doing a great job. Buy more. Yes. Hi, Jim. My name is Lily. I'm from North Carolina. Um, I was just wondering, because Take-Two Interactive was up today, um, do you think the gaming cohort is a winner? And if so, which company has the most promise? Take-Two does. Strasselty has done a remarkable job. You have Grand Theft Auto Spiky again, which is incredible. 110 million uh, sold. That's the greatest hit in history. Uh, Red Dead was incredible, much better than we thought. And NBA 2K was the, oh, was the leader. Uh, plus, we also have a couple new games that are coming up within the next three months uh, that I think are just going to be unbelievable. You want to stay low on that? I would even buy it up here. I would buy it up here. Thank you for coming to North Carolina. Yes. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. My name is Abby. I live in Botswana, Africa. My question Oh, there's is, a commute. Yeah, a little bit of a long plane yes. flight. Uh, so my question is, with the market down so unfairly yesterday, is now the time to get into Western Digital? Abby, I've got to tell you, and I've, Abby's a longtime friend of the show and worked the show for a long time. I think that if you're going to go that way, honestly, I'd rather just go Micron. Because Western Digital, yes, Western Digital has hard drive, which is not doing that well, and has Flash. Flash is good. Micron has Flash, and it has DRAM. It's much more accessible. I like the balance sheet Micron much more. Uh, big buyback right here, and welcome back from Botswana. Abby. Thank you, Jim. Yes. Hey, Jim. My name is Grayson Goble. I'm from Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, my question is, given the market losses yesterday and the fact that Boeing was one of the key stocks driving the market down, um, what do you think the future holds for Boeing? All right, Boeing is actually one of those things that I regard as being uh, unquantifiable. I really can't get my hands around because let's say I say buy it. Well, have you noticed that the processes tomorrow on the paper will be something negative? And I can't control the narrative, but more importantly, they can't control the narrative. And that's too early to buy Boeing, which is a great American manufacturer, and I do have faith in it. Thank you so much. Knox, Tennessee, well done. Yes. Hey, Jim. Kirsten from New York. How you doing? I'm, I'm good, Kirsten. How are you? Great. Booyah. Booyah. I just wanted to ask you, I recently attended a cybersecurity conference in New York, and one of the quotes of the presenters was, breaches will happen. It is not a matter of if, but when and how often. What are your thoughts on the stock Symantec? All right, Symantec, I think, look, ever since Rick Hill took over as interim chairman about three months ago, I think everything's been going right. You know that Hocktan at Brooke, I'm trying to buy the company. Uh, it looks like that Rick wanted 28, Hocktan willing to pay 26. It should have compromised at 27, but I'm never going to deviate. Rick Hill is the smartest CEO in America. Buy Symantec. 
Am I clear? Do it. Thank you. Good deal. Thank you. Hi, Jim. My name is Josie Berman. I'm from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And my question for you is, after what happened yesterday with the stock market being at a low for the year, is now a good time for new investors such as myself to invest in the stock market? Uh, yeah, I think it really is. I mean, I've been waiting. A lot of people wait for a break. And then when we get the break, people run from it. It's just a big sale at a mall. And it's not one of those malls that's broken down. Nobody wants. It's not a C-class, B-class, A-class. There are many stocks that are down between 10 and 20% from their highs. I like that. We're only down 6% from the high altogether, which is a big problem. That's why I want you to do it in stages. Do not be aggressive. Do not be aggressive. But start here. Don't feel bad if you only put a quarter of the money to work. 10000 put 2500 okay? Thank, Thank you. you. Yes. Hi, Jim. I'm Tori from New Jersey, and I was wondering, given the volatility of the current market, um, why is it advantageous to invest in household name stocks as opposed to other riskier stocks? A lot of people like the household name stocks because they tend to throw off a lot of cash. They have good dividends, they have good yield. In a situation where we have declining yields, the 10-year, I don't want to be too much jargon, but a, a bond, a treasury bond that's safe will yield 1.75. I frankly would rather have uh, Coca-Cola's dividend. All right, that's a good one, by the way. James Quincy doing a terrific job. Thank you all to all our guests. In any market, you know I'm going to have your back. We're going to get through these ups and downs. Actually, today, hey, it made it all worthwhile, except for the clowns who sold in the aftermarket last night. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Are you grilling again? What, drilling for oil? What am I drilling grilling, for? Grilling, grilling. No, I'm like not grilling. That's like beyond me. Beyond me, by the way, is just one of the great stocks of this era. It's a safety stock, It's beyond me. It's safety. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Thursday night, just after President Trump announced his new tariffs from China, by tweet, of course, something happened that you may have missed. One of my absolute favorite companies, Etsy, the online marketplace for all sorts of handcrafted goods, and much more than that, reported an imperfect quarter. Now, the results really weren't bad. The company posted a modest earnings beat, and management raised their full-year guidance for both revenues and gross merchandise value, key metric, total value of everything that gets sold on the platform. However, like I said, it wasn't perfect. Etsy sales came in slightly weaker than expected, and they slightly lowered their margin forecast. I did not fret, but if I have to tell you, these guys had reported any other time. I think the stock would have been gained for a couple of points at the most. But they reported the worst possible time, which is why the stock plummeted 12.4% on Friday, lost another 9.7% yesterday. What, a, what an aberration. While Etsy bounced around 3% today, it's still going from 68 to 55 in less than a week. So could this be the buying opportunity that so many of us have been waiting for? Or do we need to be more cautious? Let's take a closer look with Josh Silverman. He's the CEO of Etsy. We'll also chat in a minute with one of his new partners, Steve McDougall. He's the co-founder and CEO of Three Degrees, which is a sustainability consulting firm that Etsy's using to offset all the carbon emissions caused by its shipping. Mr. Silverman, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Josh. How you been? Good to see you, Jim. How are you? Okay. Um, I want to clear one thing up initially, uh, which is that while the analysts said it wasn't that good a quarter, when I look at the GMV, the merchandise value, when I look at the new sellers and new buyers, I see a consistent theme of growth, which is what I care about. I think it was a great quarter. In fact, I think when people look back a few years from now, they're going to describe this as a breakthrough quarter. The fundamentals in the second quarter were really strong. Our gross merchandise sales, as you mentioned, grew 21%. Revenue grew 37%. And that was because products were delivering really well and our marketing initiatives were working 
In addition, we announced three bold new initiatives this quarter, each of which I think set us up for really great growth for the future. So we feel great about the second quarter. Well, let's talk about uh, shipping and yeah. what you've done. We're going to talk about shipping and sustainability in a second, but just yeah. talk about how shipping is a major friction point that people are liking what you're doing. Yeah, shipping, free shipping is now an expectation in the market. And too often, buyers on Etsy have said that they think shipping prices are too high. So what we announced in the second quarter is that we're going to make free shipping the standard that people expect when they come to Etsy. And so we announced a number of initiatives to make that easy for our sellers to adopt. Now, you've got 2.3 million sellers, 43 million active buyers. Yeah. So obviously, the sellers are doing well. How are you helping the sellers and empowering them to do even better than they were? Well, the, obviously, the most important thing is that we drive traffic to Etsy. But our sellers are hungry to invest in their own success. So we also announced just the other day the launch of Etsy Ads, which is a new platform that allows our sellers to invest, to grow and buy traffic off of Etsy and bring it onto their Etsy shop. Yeah, one of the things I thought that was really interesting is you guys are, I would say, making it so that the average person looks a lot like I don't know. Let's call it Macy's. Let's call it Blooming. Let's, let's call it Walmart. The average person, you can't tell that the average person's a mom or pop shop. Right. We allow small sellers to be able to compete head for head with the big guys. And we do that by giving them a super simple and easy way to build a business online and market themselves without, with, well, we do all the business work for them and they can just focus on making great products and serving their customers. I like the fact that you are now educating people how to get uh, to a better job. Look, look, the big guys have all these resources and they have all these tableau datas. It's almost unfair. You are trying to equalize and level the playing field. We really are and we give them that kind of data, but we make it really easy for them to understand and then we give them tools that make it super easy for them to understand. Most important, we bring them customers. We bring them buyers. We're not just a way to put a shop on the web. We're a way to actually have people come and buy, and that's really powerful. I've always tried to value your company. I'm going to give you away. You tell me if I'm off base. We've got great companies like Shopify. I know they don't, they're not a, a necessarily a marketplace, but $36 billion. We've got Amazon valued in the multiple billions. $6.6 billion seems like too small a market cap for Etsy's opportunity. Well, I'm not in the business of prognosticating what our market cap should be. What I'll tell you is to get a two-sided marketplace where you've got 43 million buyers and 2.3 million sellers at scale, that's incredibly hard to do and incredibly hard to replicate. And once you've got it, it's durable. And look at our growth rate. We're incredibly excited about our opportunity. And it's very hard to destroy for those who think that big always has to win. Now, we're going to turn to... It's sustainability summer, okay? Yeah. That's what we're thinking about. We want to turn now to an aspect of your business that's incredibly important, but it's, it's overlooked way too much. And that is, we want to familiarize viewers with a focus that we're calling impact per share. It's IPS. It's what people are doing, what companies are doing to make it so that they're preserving our planet. I actually would do something. I'm going to let you introduce Steve, and then you tell us what you guys are doing together. Fantastic. So Etsy made a commitment recently that we want to be 100% carbon neutral. And so we partnered with Three Degrees, led by Steve, to help us offset all of the carbon emissions from shipping. So what we've been already doing was powering our offices and our servers using renewable energy. But when a seller ships a package from her house to the buyer, that's really outside of our supply right. chain. So we said, how can we make sure that that doesn't have a negative environmental impact? And Three Degrees has been an amazing partner to help us to offset all of the carbon that comes from shipping. Okay, so Steve McDougal, I want to know what is the competitive advantage of hiring you? In other words, I see a lot of young people, and young people want to know what a company is doing to preserve the environment. They bring you in. 
Do you see some step up ROI? I want to say this because I think a lot of people feel it's just good deed doing, but it's actually good business. Yeah, I think, uh, first of all, it starts with leadership of the companies that we work with that truly believe that uh, climate change is, is uh, something that they have to take urgent action on. It starts there, but they also recognize that within their stakeholder set that there's, they want to create a connection and, uh, with um, values uh, and that that just makes good business sense. And can I just build on sure. that for a second? It turns out it costs less than a penny a package to offset the carbon from shipping. When we discovered that, we said, gosh, we're just going to pay for it at Etsy. And then in checkout, we market that, that when you buy from Etsy, you're not impacting the, the environment. The increase in conversion rate made this pay for itself. It literally pays for itself because customers buy more from Etsy because we can work with three degrees and offset the You term. have more habitual buyers, which is the term I love that you use yeah. because of it? Yes. Oh. It's good for business and it's good for the environment. It doesn't have to be a trade-off. See, I think that penny per, uh, per package is something. I think a lot of people have no education in this. I think a lot of people feel, well, this, uh, suddenly Etsy will start losing money because they're doing this. You do not necessarily uh, impact the bottom line negatively when you come in. No, at the end of the day, uh, the leadership of our partners recognize that there's value in their, in, with their company to, to take these kinds of steps. Uh, and and I, if I could, I could demystify the notion sure. of carbon offsets, too, because really there's a, they are a mechanism to channel more money to projects <clears throat> that reduce greenhouse gases. And there's an extensive process behind the scenes that projects have to go through to get verified to ensure the environmental integrity. So essentially that our partners like Etsy uh, and all those people out there that see what Etsy is doing can be assured that those emissions are truly happening. Well, I think that's terrific. I know I want to say on the first day you picked up the tab for everybody in e-commerce, which raises visibility so that this man comes and help, helps preserve our environment, which we seem to need more than ever. Steve Methuen from Three Degrees, thank you so much. You. Josh, great to see you. That's Josh Silverman, Brooklyn's own Etsy. Thank you so much, guys. When it comes to your portfolio, Kramer will always go the extra mile, traveling the country and telling the most valuable stories. Start your investment journey with Mad Money and let Kramer help map out your financial future. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Daddy, it's over the lighting round. Everybody, hit me. Hi, Jim. I'm Sal Steele from New York. And my question is, what do you think of eBay after they beat expected earnings? Okay, which one? eBay. I think eBay's going to have a good quarter. I genuinely think that what's going to happen is that they're going to be able to sell uh, StubHub and get a much bigger price than anybody thinks. I want you to stay on it. Yes. Hi, Jim. Great to be here. Thank you. Uh, your thoughts on Funko? Funko's an unbelievable quarter, and yet the stock didn't go up. I don't know. If you get a couple more unbelievable quarters, it doesn't go up. I have to take a cut and run. Okay? Yes. Booyaski, Daddy. Yes. Hey, Jim. Uh, Dan from New Jersey. What are your thoughts on going along PayPal right here? I think PayPal's come down a great deal from the top, but I tell you the truth, I like MasterCard more, especially after that acquisition. You're not going to go wrong with PayPal, though, Dallin. It's settled down. If you can get in the 90s, that'd be a home run. Remember, they did not, they did guide down that last quarter. Yes. Hi, Jim. What are your thoughts on CCL? 
CCO. I don't know why it continues to go down, but I do like Royal Caribbean more, to be honest. I think they're doing better. Norwegian better, too. Yes. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having us. I'm Dave from Hoboken. Uh, position in Hain Celestial that's down about 40%. You I, yeah, think, I can't uh, recommend Hain. I'll tell you why I can't recommend Hain. I have, no, I have absolutely no catalyst whatsoever. Uh, I just don't. I mean, I would rather uh, tell you that food group is very, very tough right now. Kellogg is better, okay? Thanks. Yes. Jim, I'm Anastasia from Knoxville, Tennessee, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the software and data of FactSet. Wow. Good. Really good. So very smart company. Never talk. Oh, no. Bye. I mean, I never talk about it. It's like uh, MSCI. I'll give you that one. I think it's also very good. These are great fintech companies that we like. Yes. Hey, Jim. Big booyah. Dan from Westchester in New York. Been hearing a lot about the uh, online book company Chegg. Crushed it oh, on the Chegg. earnings. Dan Rosenzweig has done it. Remember, he was on at three. He came on our show and told a very positive story. We told people to buy the stock, and we're sticking by Dan for, for the whole way. What a great quarter he had. Friend of Zach Ertz, by the way, from Eagles. Yes. Hi, Jim. I've got a small position in Zynga. I was wondering if yeah, I saw it today, and I was thinking, gee, should I push it? I mean, there we are at five and change. But I, I tell you the truth, I don't know what's going to get it to go higher from here. I don't see any earnings momentum. Why don't I take two? Even up ten. I'm not kidding. Take two has got a roadmap. That's the one I want. That's the one I want. Yes. Oh. Hi, Jim. I'm Ben from New York, and this is my mom. What are your thoughts on Electronica? All right. Thank you. Look at this. Young kids watching, which is what we want. Electronic Arts is good, but Take-Two is great. I didn't mean to steal your thunder just now, but TTWO has earnings momentum. Electronic Arts just had an okay quarter. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dick. Booyah, Jim. What are your thoughts on Citigroup up today? But Look, like- Citigroup is still below its tangible book value. It's about a dollar below its tangible book value. So that means Mike Corbett can buy always one. He's the CEO. He can buy up to 10% of the company if you would like. I think you have to buy the stock. I just think you have to. Put it away. 3% yield, too. You're in good shape. Yes. Hi, Jim. Jennifer from New Jersey. What do you think about the future of GE? All right, I think Larry Culp is a very good man. I think he's got a, he t- said it himself that, tw- that 2019 is a reset year. Uh, I do believe that 2020 would actually show some progress, but that's a paint-dry stock. I'd rather own Sherwin-Williams. And no offense to Larry, he's doing a great job. Larry's doing great, but he was dealt, he was dealt some real bad hand. Yes. Yeah, Jim, big Booyah. fan of your show. What Thank do you, you think of EOG? Of EOG? Yes. I have to tell you that it's another one of those like Pioneer, which reported Devin with Apache. It doesn't matter how good they are. People don't want to own those stocks. How about the way Occidental overpaid for Anadarko, though? Wow. Yes. We are Jim. Chris from New York. I wanted to know what your thoughts on NVCR, Novacure. Okay, Novacure just had an unbelievable quarter. The thing has just got the greatest momentum. Remember, they're doing more than just brain cancer now. That machine works, I know, from a late friend of mine. What an amazing company. Bill Doyle's been on the show many times. He's, he's fabulous. Thank, Thank you Jim. so much. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Podcasts are taking over the world. 
Right now, one of the up-and-coming players in the space is Barstool Sports. It's a probably held company that's grown from a Boston newspaper to a sports-oriented multimedia empire, though it also has some great stuff about food. How they do it? In part, they have terrific partnerships like Barstool Sports Business Podcast with A-Rod, the Corp. Wow, this is exciting. So today I've got a real treat for you. We're talking to Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports, and Alex Rodriguez. No introduction needed, but anyway, A-Rod for short, retired baseball legend turned fabulous businessman and commentator, Mr. Nardini and Mr. Rodriguez. Welcome to Mayor Bunny. <laughs> Great you. to have you. Good to see you again, Jim. You are part of an unbelievable organization. I'm going to let Erica tell you because I think that you have the pulse and maybe the only media organization that is the pulse of the audience that everybody wants. I think that's right. We do. How we do you get do what it? people want. We serve it up to them. We're funny. We have great partners like Alex, and we're continuing to push the boundaries. Alex, the numbers are really staggering. I don't know. I mean, look, I have the privilege to be interviewed by you and listen, of course, to others before you interview me. And it, what, half a million people in season one? Yeah, I don't know the exact it's numbers. True. It was the that's number just, one podcast on iTunes. Now think about that. Period. The number one podcast. You're successful at everything you touch. What's the secret to have that many listeners? Well, I think, first of all, Barstool has built an incredible brand that is very sticky. Uh, when you think about, I was at the Masters this year at Wimbledon at the World Series. You would think they would say something about the Yankees or something else, but they're saying, like, when is the Corp season two coming? Everywhere I go, the Corp, the Corp. When I go to speak at universities like Harvard or, you know, Columbia or Miami, the students are just obsessed with Barstool and, of course, then the Corp, because we've had some incredible guests. And what's been fun about all the legends, including yourself, that have come on, it's really about the setbacks and the comeback. And everybody falls at some point and just... You, they don't get defined by those mistakes. How they come back matters, too. Well, what I, I love about your guys' stuff is that you don't take yourself too seriously, but you still have a mission. Yeah. And I think the mission is empowerment, mm -hmm. but the mission is also how to be, how to lead a life that's good, that can also change things. I yeah. mean, and I think a lot of it's what you bring. About it. Yeah, right? absolutely. We believe in honesty and authenticity. We want to be on the pulse of what's happening right at that very moment, and we want to be around people who we think have something to say. How can you stay fresh? There are a lot of people who have the old view. Uh, the old view, and I have to like the old view too because I think Portnoy is a genius, okay? But there's a sense that, well, how can these people keep it fresh and also fresh without losing, uh, let's say, you, you've got a much bigger audience now. Mm -hmm. It sounds like it, 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 it's got to be a little bit more broad and maybe not yeah. as like, funky, dirty. No, how you put it. I mean, Portnoy is a genius, and you know what? He surrounded himself with 60 other geniuses. We're bigger than ESPN Digital, we're bigger than Turner, we're bigger than New York Times, we're bigger than The Washington Post. We're the 48th biggest publisher in the U.S., so that's pretty fresh for a company that's one one-hundredth of those companies' size. But I think that you're, I've talked to you about this privately, but I happen to think that this is a billion-dollar company because I think that it's such a hard audience to get to. But people don't realize this. Look, you are reaching these people. If you were just on, you have a great year on baseball and something, but the fact is you are reaching people who don't watch a lot of TV. That's right, that's right. And, and we're reaching the next generation. And you and I speak to uh, a very kind of, in many sense, 1% audience in some sense. In the other sense, baseball is a little bit of an older demographic. Uh, when it comes to the core, for me, it was such an easy partnership because from the first five minutes I met Erica, I said, I want to be partners with Erica for the next few decades. And then we got a deal that was a win-win deal for both of us, and that was the easiest part. And then I have Dan Katz as my partner, 
Um, we well, make. By the way, this fag I asked for before. He is fabulous. He is awesome. He's fabulous. People should listen. He's got the number two, right? Number two podcast Dan in the whole country. The number, He's brilliant. Dan Katz has the number one podcast, number one. sports podcast in the world. Isn't that incredible? It's amazing. And all under one roof. And yeah. we make the perfect partnership because he's funny and I'm not, and it's very great. <laughs> but, you know, to your, to your point about, like, keeping it fresh, is we have this wide breadth of uh, people like yourself, Martha Stewart, Barry Sternlet, uh, Dylan Lauren, uh, Kevin Bacon, Howard Schultz, like a whole handful of You never know. Yeah. Yeah, I love just, it because yeah. you never know. It's yeah. like the old Carson show. When Carson would have someone, holy cow, I guess Carson likes that person. When I hear A-Rod has someone, I think, well, you know, endorsement. You wouldn't put on people that you don't think are scintillating. And you care tremendously about your audience liking it, as do you. And I want to talk about all the other things that you're thinking that you're doing. Gold, uh, uh, One Bite, which yep. is another. I mean, that's, to me, a, a super sophisticated Yelp. Yep. How do you come up with these things? You know, our content guys lead most of it. So Dave, Dan, PFT Commenter, all of our cast has a ton of ideas, and we are just extremely entrepreneurial. That's what I love about the Corp, which is it's really a story about being an entrepreneur. And we do that every day. So uh, the new season starting. Yeah. Uh, now, when you uh, do you envision podcasts to be one day to be bigger? I don't mean, I actually mean this, yeah. bigger than TV. I think it has, look, I think TV is never going away. I okay. think there's still, when you talk about, you know, whether Dallas or Yankees, World Series or Super Bowl, there's always going to be primetime television. But I think podcast is a more intimate way of connecting with the next generation. Uh, there's something about going for a jog and putting, you know, the headphones on mm-hmm. or going on a car ride. There's an intimacy about it. And it's amazing the stickiness of Barstool. But the Corp is connected me to a level almost like being a Yankee and winning a championship. People just believe in it, and, and you're teaching them, and you're inspiring them. Great analysis, because I know that the deals for podcasts now are like TV deals. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's real money. Now, a lot of people feel you do skew male, 73%, but you have the number one female podcast. In the world. Mm-hmm. Tell us yeah. about it. So Caller Daddy is a juggernaut. We have a female podcast. We have two fantastic hosts. Uh, they talk about sex. They talk about relationships. They're raunchy. They're funny. And they're a phenomenon. Well, I got to tell you, I, I think that the misperceptions, when you have 11.1 million monthly video views, 1.6 billion monthly social views, the idea that somehow you are, not that I might, I mean, look, I watched David from the, the day he started, but the idea that you are just this niche, younger guys thing is so wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the broadness of what you've got, which is one of the reasons why I think there are a lot of people who are hoping one day to own a share, mm-hmm. own a share of Barstool. Possible? Possible, for sure. First, we're going to start with the number one business podcast, and then maybe we'll get you an IPO. And how is baseball season going? Baseball's going great. I mean, it, we have such an amazing season going on. Anytime the great titans of the game, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, anytime they're in the forefront is good for business. Um, the Yankees are a juggernaut. The Dodgers are unbelievable. And Houston became the favorite because they got more pitching than, than you know, the 99 Yankees. So, you know, one more thing about Barstow and kind of where we're at right now. I think if you think about what Bob Iger is trying to do at Disney, yeah, ESPN just passed 2 million in subscribers, ESPN Plus. Disney Plus is next. Disney's coming after Netflix, trying to eat their lunch. Right. If you think about Barstow, yes. when you talk about a billion, maybe multiple billions, because the head start, it is hard to catch up to the avalanche. That you've built hard to catch Amazing. up to the Avalanche, the Yankees have right on. Yes, great example. Yeah. I also a new show on CBC back in the game starting mm-hmm. in the fall. Yeah, very excited. Got? 
Thanks. Well, we have Ryan Lochte, which is a great story. He's getting ready for the Olympics. Yes. Hopefully in Tokyo. He just won a big race this week. Ryan Lochte is an amazing comeback story. And when you think about the great Evander Holyfield, the real deal, I spent the last six months with him. He's on his way back, and he's a fascinating guy, a very lovable guy. Yeah, I was on guy. The Apprentice with him. He's a yeah. terrific, terrific guy. Well, look, I want to thank both of you. That's A-Rod, Alex Rodriguez, founder and CEO of A-Rod Corp. What a podcast. And Barstool Sports CEO, Eric Nardini, who I hope will allow us to have a share one day in Barstool Sports. Bad Money's back into the game. Just some business after the bell. Disney, not perfect. Travel Trust owns it. We did a little selling earlier last or this week, and I do think that it's fine. It's not going to take off. Uh, you all wanted to, but remember, it did come from 100 all the way up to 145. Now, in general, in the market, after a day like today, you start seeing stocks that people haven't bought, like the industrials. They start coming back to them. They're looking for stocks that are down 10 to 20% from their highs. You'll also get some semiconductor stocks that have been, that really I would say have been reluctant to rally because people are afraid of China. I am more frightened of the latter than the former. I think the industrials are actually doing okay, particularly the ones that yield 3%. But the, you know what? I can't jump up and down about this market. I just can't. Too much uncertainty. Like I said, there's always more market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Jim Cramer, you're one of my heroes. I look forward to your show every weeknight. Thank you so much for helping beginning investors like me. When you talk about the market, I just believe that you're spot on. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much. Every night we watch you, I have learned and earned. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.